0: I'll read verse 11 again and then we'll continue on from there. The following night the Lord stood beside him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, for he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What it is that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who having bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, To His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what providence he was from. And when he learned that he was from Sicilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Father, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish. So is Your Word that goes out from Your mouth. It will not return to You empty. It will accomplish what You desire and achieve the purpose for which You sent it. So even as we look at the snow falling now, Father, may it be a clearer picture of Your Word coming down to us, achieving the purpose for which You sent it. Father, work mightily in our midst, for Your name's sake. Amen. You may be seated. What could be worse than grieving over the loss of a loved one? Or dealing with a life-threatening disease? Or struggling to find a place to live when you're homeless? Or, as in the case of the Apostle Paul, Facing numerous attempts by your enemies to kill you. You know what's worse than being confronted by any of these crises? Being confronted by these crises when you're all alone. Without the comfort, without the support of a spouse or family or friends or church body. And this is precisely where the Apostle Paul finds himself once he is again violently attacked by the Jews, and imprisoned by the Romans. He finds himself all alone in a cell. We pick up the story in verse 10 of chapter 23. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So there's the Apostle Paul in a prison cell being rescued by the Romans all by himself. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he describes what's taking place. He says a little later, he said, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Like Jesus before him, when Paul is on trial, he stands on trial alone because everybody else has ran. They have deserted him, abandoned him because the truth is they're cowards. But Paul isn't bitter. He even intercedes on behalf of his companions who have left him all alone during this dark night of the soul. And in his praying, Paul once again Imitates Jesus who also prayed for his disciples who abandoned him when he was taken captive and was on trial. Jesus prayed for Peter. You may recall that he even told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you come back, clearly implying that he's going to go away, but when you come back, encourage your brothers. And here's the apostle paul like jesus praying that this desertion this abandonment would not be held against them again paul is not bitter but he is beaten he is bruised and he is broken and again we need to remember he was just a human being and he's probably wondering how much more he can endure Perhaps as he sat there in the cell, he said, Lord, I'm ready to snap. I don't know if I can take it anymore. Then, at just the right time, Jesus shows up literally in the flesh with a word of encouragement and hope. And this is what we read in verse 11. The following night, the Lord's, Stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And last week I mentioned that what Paul sees is not a vision. Uh, He's not in a trance. What he sees is Jesus standing beside him physically in the flesh, talking to him, encouraging him, giving him strength so that he can continue on. Now, let me ask you this question. If Jesus appeared to you physically, visibly, audibly, and He encouraged you with a specific word for the crisis that you're going through, would it just be an add-on to your story? And oh yeah, by the way, as we were going through this difficulty, Jesus appeared to me one day and He encouraged me and then we were able to continue on. Would it just be an add-on? Or would it be like The center of the story. The pinnacle of the story. The climax of the story. I think it would be the climax of the story, wouldn't it? John MacArthur mentioned that he was talking to a pastor one time. and, And he said, I've never had an appearance of Jesus. I've never heard the audible voice of God. And this other pastor said, oh, really? Jesus appears to me all the time and talks to me. He said, really? He said, like when? He said, you know, sometimes in the morning I'll, I'll be shaving, and, and Jesus will appear to me. And, and McCroskey said, "And you just keep right on shaving? <laughs> if, if Jesus really appeared to me and spoke to me, I'd, I'd have to bow down. I'd, I'd have to worship. I wouldn't just be continuing on, you know, with my razor. You know, I mean, this this is dramatic. Now I submit to you that this appearance of Christ." isn't just another interesting detail in this narrative. It is the center of the narrative. Again, it, it is the peak of the narrative. It is the ultimate turning point. Everything turns for the Apostle Paul after this point, And now he continues on with courage and conviction and confidence because Christ has appeared to him. This is the center of the story. And I try to illustrate it with this. Chiastic structure. Can all you children say chiastic structure? (laughs) Very good, Zach. (laughs) What is a chiastic structure? What is a chiasm? It's a literary device that builds up to a certain point and then comes back by repeating the same fact. I've given you two examples. The first one I just copied out of a commentary. This is from the book of Genesis. And this concerns the flood of Noah. And you'll see point A is God resolves to destroy the corrupt race. And then point B, Noah builds an ark according to God's instructions. And then God commands the remnant to enter the ark. The flood begins. The flood prevails 150 days. And then skip over point F, go down to... Uh, The other point E, the flood recedes 150 days. You can see how that's parallel to the other point E. Uh, The earth dries instead of the flood beginning, going back. God commands the remnant to leave the ark instead of entering the ark. And then Noah builds an altar. God resolves not to destroy humankind. And you'll notice right at the middle of that, we have half a verse. God remembers Noah. So this is how the passage is built and God resolves to destroy, He gives these instructions, and then right at the beginning of chapter eight, but the Lord remembered Noah. Noah was not forgotten. And then the story continues, but it just it kind of goes back down and it repeats what was taking place, but it's going back in different places. Now, for a chiastic structure to work, the two sides don't have to be exactly identical. Now, this is my chiastic structure below. I didn't have the um, the letters because my computer wasn't cooperating, so I said forget it after a while. Uh, but this is what we have. Paul uh, defends himself and he includes his conversion. And again, you can fill in much more details. I'm just trying to keep it simple. Uh, Paul is accused before officials. The Jews attempt to kill Paul, but the Romans intervene. The Lord appears to Paul And then the Jews attempt to kill him, but the Romans intervene. Paul is accused before officials. And once again, Paul gives a defense which includes his conversion. So I think this is a general structure that we have in these last chapters of Acts. And what I want to submit to you that right at the pinnacle of these last chapters is this appearance in verse 11 by Jesus Christ to Paul. He's going through all these crises. He's abandoned. And then Jesus Christ literally in the flesh appears and encourages the Apostle Paul so that he is able to continue on with his ministry. And this was a big deal to Paul because in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18, after he said, everybody abandon me at my first offense, he goes on and he says these words. And let me... Turn there quickly. 2 Timothy 4, beginning at verse 17. He says, But the Lord stood by me. And as we saw in Acts, this is literal. The Lord stood by me. And it's as though Paul would say, I mean right by me in the flesh. Literally, I could reach out and touch Him. The Lord was right there with me. And he says, And He strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So there's an added detail here. Jesus doesn't just say take courage and encourage him and tell him what he's going to do in the future. He is strengthened. And maybe he was strengthened through that message. Maybe he was strengthened in another way. I think if Jesus just appeared to me, that would be enough strength. I think I think adrenaline would just course through my veins if Jesus appeared to me. and I'd be able to continue on for years. Just from a vision like that alone. But however it happened, he knew he was strengthened and he knew he had the fortitude to continue on to preach the gospel to the Gentiles regardless of what the Jews would continue to do to him. He knew he could do it. And it's not just because he has a positive mental attitude. It's because the living God appeared to him, spoke to him, and encouraged him. And he said, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth, from those that were seeking to devour Him. And he said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. And then he just has to praise God right here. We have another one of these doxologies where he just burst out into praise and he said, To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying, After something like that, I just, I just have to sing the doxology. Because God has been so good to me. And keep in mind that this is 2 Timothy, his last letters. and just previous verses, he said, I'm being ready to be poured out like a drink offering. He says, the time of my departure has come. And by the way, kids, when he says departure, he doesn't mean his departure for Rome. He means his departure for heaven. He's about to die. He knows it. And there's this note of triumph in his voice because of how God has been good to him. And he looks back over how he was able to endure it all and he says it's because Jesus Christ was right there with me. So again, I submit to you that verse 11 isn't one of these verses that we just kind of tack on and this happened. It is the center of these passages. So Paul is in prison. Verse 12, When it was day the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They are serious. They are determined. They're going to bind themselves by an oath that they are not going to let up until Paul has been killed. Until Paul's ministry has come to an end. Their assassination attempts will not succeed, will it? We know it won't succeed. What did Jesus just say to Paul? You're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. If he's killed in Jerusalem, he doesn't make it to Rome. It will not work, it will be thwarted. And I'll tell you what, turn to the last chapter of the book of Acts. Now, I know this is cheating, you know. I'm going to show you how this story ends. You know, if you don't like spoilers, maybe you can just cover your ears right now. I don't want to know how it ends. I want to be surprised later. Uh, but this is what we read in Acts 28:16. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers that guarded him. So, So they do make it to Rome. We'll fill in the details later about how they got there by ship and the shipwreck and... And all that is fascinating. And then turn to the very last few verses, beginning at 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So indeed, he does make it to Rome and he has a fruitful ministry there um, for a number of years continuing to preach the gospel. And of course, that's no spoiler because Jesus already said you're going to Rome. So we knew that was coming and indeed it happens. Now, I mentioned that at the end of the story, because if we have faith, we don't have to turn to the end of the story. And if we have faith in God's promises, we don't have to turn to the end of the story in our own lives. God has promises for us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. In Philippians 4.19, God says, I will meet all your needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is going to meet our needs. God will be with us. God will provide for us. And if we can believe those promises by faith, we know how the story turns out. We may not know the exact details. We may not know the exact place. But we know that God will bring us through. We know that we too will arrive safely at our destination. God will provide for us. So let us cling to His promises. Verse 13 says, There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. So there's a good number of Jews here who ate Paul. <laughs> got quite a number of enemies. and Obviously, they don't just dislike him. They absolutely despise him because they're taking an oath not to eat or drink until they kill him. So 40 plus men have taken this serious oath uh, to have him killed. They're not going to do it alone. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, probably a reference to the Sanhedrin, a ruling body of of 70 men, give notice to the tribune, that's that's the Roman leader here, to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near you. These 40 men, they go to the chief priests and the elders. They know they don't like Jesus either. They despise Him. So they go to them and they say, now get the council to join and we'll all, so everybody's involved in this conspiracy, bring him down and we'll have him ambushed before he ever takes the witness stand. And finally, we will be rid of the Apostle Paul. And as we read the story... The drama builds and we think it's not going to happen. He's going to Rome. It's not going to happen. I, I wonder what's going to happen to this to this conspiracy against Paul. So we read on knowing how the story is going to turn out. Just trying to figure out the exact details and how God will intervene. Verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The tribune took him in hand and they were going aside and he asked him privately what it is that you have to tell me. And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask Paul to be brought down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more closely about him. Don't be persuaded. Don't buy into it. Forty men have taken a vow not to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. Don't be fooled by these guys. And the tribune says, go and tell no one about this. So God has a young man, a boy, Paul's nephew intervene. Now, this this is some tantalizing details here Because this is the only specific reference we have to Paul's family. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, we're told that Paul has a sister and that she has a son. So, nephew goes to the tribune and he intervenes on behalf of Uncle Paul. Now, I bet for most of you, this is the first time in your Christian life that you've ever heard of the Apostle Paul referred to as Uncle Paul. But here he is, Uncle Paul. His nephew intervenes. Where did his nephew come from? We have all these questions. Were they believers? Uh, how did the nephew hear about this plot? How was he able to get into the barracks? And and once again, I have all these curious questions and I'm like, Luke, you're killing me. Come, come on. You, you, all of a sudden, you, you mention his sister and his nephew and you can't give me a few more details? But the Bible wasn't always written to answer our curiosity curious questions wasn't it? i think the main point is that at the right time god will bring the right person and he will intervene and he can use whoever he wants and i think another great lesson here is god just uses ordinary people ordinary people he just uses a boy you know you you go in and and i and I love it and and maybe, because even in acts for so long, you're thinking, boy, I'm not the apostle paul I'm not the i I'm just some of you sitting here i am just a kid we we do have boys just sitting here i'm I'm just a young man, I'm, I'm just a boy, I'm a little girl i'm just I'm just an average worker i just you know I, I I work on computers, I fix cars, I'm just an average person but let's let's remember the average people in these stories who We have great jobs. God uses average people. Uh, Some of you are familiar with uh, pastor, theologian, Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, He tells a story about the man who led him to Christ. And the man who led him to Christ about, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, before he was converted, was a part of this company. And he was walking through the company and there was this pool of secretaries and they were all typing again i said this goes back a long long ways this was manual typewriters some of us remember when i was in high school we had half manual half electric and it was an awesome thing to have an electric typewriter um so all these secretaries you know all these secretaries doing their typing i don't know what the company was and he would just kind of walk through that um that pool of secretaries with all these different secretaries typing day after day and he would notice that there was one woman in particular who was always more diligent than the others and always had a positive attitude. And, and finally, he, he said to one of his co- co-workers, he said, what's up with that woman over there? Every time I, I walk through her, she, she's just typing away. What, what's up with her? And, and the co-worker said, oh, she's a Christian. And, and that stuck with him. that She's a Christian. Being a believer in Jesus Christ makes makes a difference in how you type every day. And it does. And and God used that to bring this this man to Christ. And then that man that was led to Christ, because of the influence of a woman who just types diligently at work to the glory of God was was led to faith, and then this man, Thomas Sinclair Ferguson, leads him to saving faith in Christ. And then Saint Claire Ferguson just writes books, travels around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in part, at least, it can be attributed to this just plain, ordinary Jane office worker. Isn't that great? Having an impact. And you know what? Her impact isn't done. Who, who knows how that will continue on. By the way, last, last week I, I mentioned that there's two stages after death. We kind of think of one stage. We kind of think I die, I go to heaven, I'm with the Lord forever. But we should really think of two stages. We die, our, our spirit immediately goes to be with God in heaven. But then at the consummation, when Jesus returns, there's a resurrection of the body. And then there's the judgment. The judgment takes place at the end of time. Why doesn't judgment take place when you die? You know why it doesn't take place when you die? Because the effect of your life is continuing on. You're dead. Your spirit's with God. Your body is in the grave. But the impact that you have had on people, on your children, on your family, your friends, your church, your neighbors, your co- That impact continues. And it will continue, Lord willing, until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then God's going to say, now it's time for the judgment and let me show you the accumulative effect of your life. And who knows how long it's going to be for the second coming of Christ. I think it's going to be at least a couple thousand years. I'm just, I'm just throwing out a number. okay? Don't, okay? Don't, I don't think it's around the corner. I will say that. I don't buy that forever, but that's, that's another message. But let's just say, just for a rough number, 2,000 years, wouldn't it be something... We die and then history goes on for 2,000 years and Jesus says, I want you to show, I want you to see what impact your life has had over the last 2,000 years. And let's remember, nothing is lost. You offer a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, it will be rewarded. So let's just remember, God uses ordinary people and never know the impact that you're that your life will have one one conversation you, you just had in passing with someone at some events you never know what kind of impact that had on their life and how that affected their family and you, you just never know it, it it's going to be so exciting I've got to pause here for it's going to be so exciting on the day of judgment when, when God shows us the impact I think we're just we're all going to stand in awe and then we're just going to say Lord thank you that I could have any impact whatsoever. So, Paul's nephew intervenes, go to the tribune. And what the tribune does is he puts together an army. I love this, verse 23. Then he called two of his centurions. And you might see that word centurion. We get the word 100. So, two centurions, they would each have 100 men under their command. So he calls two centurions and he says get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night 9 o'clock also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. So here the tribune he's acting. I want you to get 200 men under you 70 horsemen another 200 spearmen. It's hard to know how to translate this. It's the only word we have in in Greek, but some kind of spearmen. We have a small army, 470 men surrounding one prisoner. I mean, can you imagine? So, 470 against 40. Okay? Paul has this huge entourage he, he leaves Jerusalem in style. He's leaving like royalty, not, not like a criminal. And, and I don't know exactly what Paul's personality was like, but as, as he's enjoying this huge entourage, you know, escorting him to Caesarea, maybe he was smiling, kind of looking around, and, and maybe he thought to himself, Jews, come and get me now. I dare you! Here I am! I I I don't know what his what his mindset was. Uh, he's safe and secure, though. No one is going to lay a hand on the apostle Paul because a God in heaven said, You're gonna to go to Rome and a God in heaven. Say, nephew, go intervene on behalf of Uncle Paul. And then God in heaven said to the tribe, and I want you to get an army and I want you to escort Paul so that you can get him to go where I need him to go. And everybody obeys. The sovereign God in heaven is orchestrating the plan, bringing it to fulfillment. So, of course, Paul is going to arrive in Rome. God said he's going to arrive in Rome. It's just a matter of how it will happen. And Paul's going to Rome and he's just... It's exciting. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England during World War II, once said, There is nothing more exhilarating than to be shot at without result. That's the Apostle Paul here. They're they're coming at him without result. Nothing's going to happen. During the French and Indian War, a young lieutenant colonel had two horses shot out from underneath him. At one point in the... In the battle, a bullet from an enemy rifle came and while he was riding his horseback, his shirt was flapping in the back and the bullet went through one side of his shirt and out the other. Later, that young lieutenant colonel became the first president of the United States. George Washington. Shoot at him all you want. He's destined to become the first president of the United States. You will not succeed. You are immortal. You are invincible until so God's work for you is done. Not a hair on your head can be touched without the expressed written consent of God Almighty. Will not happen. So, Paul is delivered by this entourage, and of course, he arrive safely, and he will appear before Claudius Lysias. And once again, he will defend himself. He will proclaim the Gospel, explain his conversion experience, why he has been called to the Gentiles. And while he's doing that, let's remember that God is with him. God promised never to leave him nor forsake him. And I think that's very important because it's not as though... God said, now you're going to go to Rome. Okay, Jesus says, you're going to go to Rome. And then Jesus says, standing right here in Jerusalem, Well, well, Paul goes off to Caesarea. No, God was with him. The whole point. It's just that we sometimes forget that until God opens our eyes. And maybe even Paul forgot it until God opened his eyes and said, oh, there's Jesus. And if Jesus wanted to, he could have said, I, I've been here all along. Where do you think I went? I'm an omnipresent God. I'm right here with you. I've been here the whole time. You just didn't know it. And we likewise need to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, This last week, uh, I'm reading through Genesis again. and uh, I'm I'm in Genesis 39, which is the story of, of Joseph. And I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again because I just love this. This is Genesis 39.1. Now Joseph, this was after he was uh, betrayed and sold by his brothers through Ishmaelites who were coming by. Uh, They brought him down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And when I read this often, I think, Well, it's a good thing it says the Lord was with him because it doesn't look like the Lord is with him. He was just betrayed and sold as a slave. The Lord is with him? Good thing you told me that. And then, of course, he works diligently for Potiphar. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of coming on to her. Uh, Potiphar has him thrown in prison. And this is what we read in verse uh, 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. And, and again, I say, it's, it's a good thing we're told that the Lord was with Joseph because it doesn't seem like it. And and this, this is the point we have to realize. Let's not live by sight. okay? Let's live by faith. God promised I will never leave you nor forsake you. So at the lowest points in your life, whatever the equivalent is for you, you know, you're, you're not sold as a slave, thrown in prison, whatever it is for you, financial trouble, you know, disease, death, divorce, whatever it is, God's there. God's there. He, he didn't go anywhere. He's he's still there with you. Back in Genesis 28:16. You have this great passage of Jacob. And this this is the famous passage where he uh, he falls asleep and he sees a ladder going up between heaven and earth angels descending and ascending on, on the ladder. Jesus later will pick this up and say that he's the ladder. Uh, but this is what we read in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. If we're honest, many of us could say, Boy, that's a good description of my. The Lord was in this place. The Lord was in this disaster. In this trial. In this circumstance. And I didn't know it. I forgot the, the Lord was right here with me. And then I have to give you just, just one more. Again, that I that I read this week. And maybe because I'm thinking of God's presence with, with us, that it really stuck out for me. But this is, this is Genesis 46. And this is when Jacob, also known as Israel, uh, goes down to Egypt so that he can see Joseph and his family can be saved. And this is what we read in Genesis 20, or excuse me, Genesis 46:3. Then he said, "I am God, the God of your Father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And I, that's great. God appears Jacob. He says, you're going to go down to Egypt. I'm going to be with you as you go down. I'm going to be with you as you come back. God is hes with us wherever we go. Again, He has promised that He will never leave us Never forsake us. So I don't, I don't know what you're going through today. I know some of you are going through horrendous situations. Uh, I know some of you have had your heart pierced this week and have shed tears. God is with you. God is with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the great promises of Your Word. Oh, Father, if we could believe it in the depths of our being, the one promise, I will never leave You nor forsake You, would be like an anchor to our soul, enabling us to remain steady regardless of what tragic winds would seek to blow us over. Father, I want to ask You to open our spiritual eyes even this morning and to know that You are present right here among us. That wherever we go, You are with us. That You will be our rock. You will be our refuge. You will be an ever-present help in time of trouble. You will strengthen us. And You will see to it that we reach our final destiny. Father, may we cling to these promises. Father, we believe this promise. Help us in our unbelief. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.